Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Grace and Hope Consulting Podcast. I'm your host, the founder of Grace and Hope Consulting. I'm Shua Alegra, and we are here empowering people to achieve mental and emotional wellness, reach their full potential, and live fulfilling lives. Everything we do here evolves around resilience, and I'm inviting new friends to the table to have this conversation, learn more about who they are, what they do, so that we can also apply their wisdom in our own journeys to resilience. So welcome, Jerry. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being here. So we'll dive right in. If you don't mind just introducing yourself, let us know a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I currently split time as a pharmacist and also building up my leadership coaching practice. Uh, the origin of that story, basically, you know, initially I was pre-med in college got to see in organic chemistry and so I quickly realized uh, maybe I'd do something different. Um, I said, well, I still want to do healthcare. And so I said, well, pharmacy seems uh, like it's doing pretty well. So let me go to pharmacy school, uh, convince pharmacy school I'll make a good pharmacist. Uh, and I began working for a chain pharmacy after I graduated. And I, I lived home in Knoxville with my family. And part of the reason I took the job was that my mom didn't want me to have some of the employment struggles that my dad did growing up. And she just said, you know, work for the stable company for like 20 years and bank away money aggressively. And then one day maybe it'll work out. <laughs> and so I said, the well, safe you know, landing plan we call that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The deferred life plane. <laughs> um, after five years, I said, nope, I, I can't do this anymore. Uh, it's just not worth the benefits because that stability also costs something. Um, and people don't realize that, right, until, you, until you're in the middle of it. So I leveraged my connections to get a teaching job through a pharmacy consulting company uh, that I moved to Houston for 12 years ago and um, got fired 11 months later. And that was my mistake. It was my doing just because I wasn't serious about um, really becoming a credible instructor. And so that was a, a tough wake-up call, but a very necessary one. And then after that became another wake-up call where I ended up at a House of Cards pharmacy job where four of my paychecks bounced, filling for crooked doctors. So I was jeopardizing my license and I wasn't even getting paid for it. And so now I'm having to fill more crooked scripts to make up for the checks that he had you know, not paid me properly. And so it was just a really, really bad cycle. And thankfully my friends got me out of that job and got me on with another company that uh, was more legitimate, but money was tight. They couldn't pay me more than eight hours a week. And so next thing I know, I'm moving to Austin temporarily, working for them out there to get more hours. And I have no idea what my life is going to look like at this point. So from there, uh, that summer was key because I was asked to help with a leadership seminar uh, through a pharmacy nonprofit that some of my friends run. And so teaching leadership kind of unlocked some changes in thinking around leadership for me. And so before I always thought leadership was untouchable, like I just would never be able to, to do it. And then now I kind of asked myself, well, what if I could be a good leader? And so, you know, part of the resilience journey of shares people have picked up on is just like, I got to pay my bills. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you need for resilience. It's just like, if I don't know where my next paycheck is coming from, I got to go chase after it. But now, right, I was at a point where I just said, you know what, maybe I can, maybe I can alter my career path a little bit, especially if I decide to take on these challenges of leadership. And so when a full-time manager position in Houston opened up that fall, uh, I said, yep, want to come home, 
want to take on these leadership challenges, can't stay scared, can't stay safe. So I come home, you know, or to Houston, ready to, ready to, um, you know, uh, I thought my life would stabilize at that point, and it didn't, <laughs> because the next year I was written up for not, you know, disciplining or firing uh, bad technicians, and so, um, you know, more humble pie. Uh, and the company had their funding pulled right as my probation period ended, and so the only reason I even got an interview with my next company was that I had leadership. So, um, you know, I sell people all the time. Leadership saved my career. Uh, but the jobs, you know, would only last like one or two years, even though I had more options. And so um, about five years ago, when previous employer went under, I said, well, you know, I'm tired of chasing scripts and tired of fighting insurance companies, but I love people development. What if I tried to make a career as a coach and a facilitator, um, but still very scared of failing rejection? It was still an occasional hobby more than an actual career pivot. And then the pandemic hit and I said, OK, how much longer am I going to put this off? So, um, yeah, I, I filed the LLC, got all that up and, uh, yeah, I'm still splitting time as people can see on the video. I'm, I'm still at my day job, uh, hustling and make, keeping that going while I build up my leadership coaching practice. So, uh, kind of in the middle of it now, but meeting a lot of great people along the way. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What a story. And I have to say, I just admire your transparency and that's a key point for leadership. Often leaders mm -hmm. think they have to be always up high here with no mm -hmm. failures, no, you know, uh, have it all together, have it all figured out. And that's what makes us leaders. I don't think so. Leaders are just like you. It's, uh, you know, admitting when we're wrong and admitting where sometimes it's never no doing, but something didn't go right. And then we kind of, you know, pay or live with the consequences, right? And then mm -hmm. it's from there finding ways to reinvent ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, after those, you know, quote unquote, pit pitfalls per se. And so it's just beautiful to hear that you not only you're transparent, but also you didn't give up. It's like it was, and, and I'm sure you know you you did share about you know it's about the paycheck, but I am sure there's more than just the paycheck. It was that that you have that drive for more, right? Because you know you're meant for more, so you're pushing for that more. You know whatever more is, you know, in the next this stage, and next stage, and next stage of life. So thanks for sharing that. And it's, if I can go back a little bit, um, and, and kind of dig back with all the changes, maybe not change, but not changing. You stay. You stay in the ph uh, pharmacy for you know quite some years here, but for every pharmacy job that didn't work, mm -hmm. have you ever thought, well, maybe I could just do something different, totally different, and just give up this pharmacy? I know it, again, it's you know, license is all the time and money they invested into the degree, right? But I just wonder if any any other options you know crossed your mind when you're going through that journey. Yeah, well, here's a here's a here's a section that I've shared a lot about because people don't realize just how close I was to quitting ten years ago. Actually, um, like the pharmacy market got very saturated around the time that I moved to Houston. Like a lot more schools opened up, so uh, you know the jobs that were very you know plentiful when I graduated seventeen years ago uh, started to get filled. And coming to a city like Houston, which already has two local pharmacy schools, uh, you know, the market is very saturated. And so, yeah, when I was looking for work 10 years ago and I wasn't getting any responses, I was you know, putting resumes everywhere and nothing. And I actually have applied for Teach for America because I was like, well, I don't have a pharmacy job lined up. I guess I better find something to pay my bills. And so, you know, I 
initially was set to get to the second round of interviews until uh, the, the QVL job that my friends had lined up for me had, had panned out. And um, yeah, I mean, 2014 happened again, right? There's just not a lot. I thought I was going to become a, a pharmacy tech instructor at a, at a for-profit university. <laughs> you know, there's just, you know, or even now, right? I might, if, if I need to, I may, you know, spend all my hours doing private tutoring, um, which is actually how I paid most of my expenses uh, the first year I was in business. I didn't have enough coaching business to, to cover even the baseline of expenses and overhead. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's been plenty of moments where if you take a closer look, yeah, there's a lot of close calls as to me not, you know, being a pharmacist anymore. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, though. And I, I find it interesting that when you wanted to quit, that the job you went you went after was for Teach for America. So back to developing people, right? And mm -hmm. so that, again, that passion, that drive is there. And sometimes I, I find that it's the same passion that we just find multiple facets or ways of, you know, fulfilling it. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, it's neat to, again, hear your journey. And so let's go, you know, talk a little more about the coaching business. So you started yeah. how many years ago? Uh, it's about almost, uh, it'll be two years in October. So okay. yeah, it's been about a year and a quarter, uh, three quarters now. Yeah. Okay. And, and I know what your focus is, but for people listening or watching, what do you focus on um, in your coaching business? Yeah. Yeah. The niche I've kind of declared for myself is conflict resolution for Asian American leaders. And the reason for that is that number one, yeah, it's a heart. I, I have a heart for this because I know how much I struggled with conflict as an Asian American trying to become an effective leader. And so um, I'm fairly confident that this is a pain point or you know challenge that however you want to call it, um, this is something I have a heart for knowing that you know a lot of Asian Americans when they're out in the workforce for the first time, they realize that, oh, you know, what my parents told me or how my parents handled things isn't working here, right? I have a boss who's very temperamental and doesn't just notice that I'm working hard, right? Like other people are taking credit for my work or, you know, I'm getting passed over for promotions. And I don't know how to bring these things up without seeming disrespectful because mm -hmm. that's what how things were in my house is if I brought up questions, they right. saw it as a, as a questioning of authority instead of just a mm -hmm. request for clarification. Mm -hmm. So to give people the, a shift in how they approach conflict and how they view conflict and um, just just the fact that conflict can actually be something beneficial if they're willing to see it that way uh, is uh, something I have a heart for. Yeah, yeah, beautifully said. And I'm here saying, yeah, because, you know, I'm originally from Africa and I totally, totally, totally echo those words you said, you know, asking for questions for clarification to someone who's older than you is seen as disrespect, right? And it's and not just for clarification. And so you're in trouble for that. And so we learn <laughs> not to say a word, right? Yeah. And you when you come to new, new culture, you, you know, it just doesn't work that way. You can't be, you can't live a fulfilling life of that kind of, you know, approach to, to life. Mm -hmm. And I also like how you're sharing with the conflict resolution that you are uh, coaching that you do. It's not just conflict resolution, if I, if I may, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I'm hearing is, you are doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work in helping people resolve the issues that come from DNI in a way that's you know, that's productive, helpful, and healthy. And and so yes, you know, you might call it conflict, but I think I, I want to just kind of you know clarify that too for people listening that you have it sounds to me very very clear and like you have that clear lens on the diversity side. 
you know, and, and, and although some, it seems like it's a very, very narrow niche, but it's needed. You know, you get it. You get, you know, you get the you know, people that you're trying to support mm-hmm. and you've been there. And so it's, it's good. It's good. You no, know, who else, right? To do this work by someone who's walked that path. Yeah, yeah, there's no question there's an overlap because conflict is everywhere, right? Whether it is broken expectations or, you know, priorities for a business, right? You know, or like arguments over which revenue stream is the most important one or do we have to cast off what we currently have in order to find a different one? Um, or yeah, just ex- cultural expectations, right? Of how we are to get to each other, whether it's how we address the elderly, or how we just people of different of different colors, right? Um, it, yeah, to give people a voice to, you know, when they are in a situation that doesn't sound quite right, and normally their default is to say, well, let me not rock the boat, let me just kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. And to let them realize you can give the benefit of the doubt and you can still speak up. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it it took some coexist. Time. It doesn't have to be this or that, it can be this and that, and that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it's I can share an example if this hopefully may inspire and encourage people. Please please go ahead. Do so. So, yeah, there is an international networking event I went to, you know, around the time of the Asian hate crimes. And uh, so I met an older white gentleman uh, and, you know, he asked me, he goes, you know, these Asian hate crimes, like, have you dealt with anything? Like, have you is it really that big a deal? And, you know in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, you know, there is some degree that media is sensationalizing these stories for ratings, because that is a real thing. Because technically, Asian hate crimes have been going on for quite some time now. But for some reason, they're just being played up in the media now. Um, but I also want to maybe stretch him just a little bit, not like I'm trying to show him anything, but I just wanted to see how he'd react to some other information. And so I asked him, I said, well, hey, you know, uh, let me ask you something. Uh, you know, did you know that Houston's Chinatown is built on discrimination? And he goes, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, at some point, the city officials all felt like this was the threat. So they sequester all the Asians uh, in the city, in the southwest part of the city. And then even to add insult to injury, they dropped the district such, such a way that they can't even vote. Wow. And he goes, oh, that doesn't sound great. I was like, right. no, it's not. You know, have I seen any violence or experienced any violence or disparaging remarks? No. And I'm thankful, but there is a greater uh, system of discrimination that is not okay just because people aren't getting hurt. It's like, oh, wow. You know, it's like, well, hey, look, you know, I'm not here to embarrass you, right? I'm not here to embarrass this guy. I'm not here to show him up or be like, Mm -hmm. yeah, Jerry, you showed him. It's like, no, I really just want people in my position to be able to speak up like this. Yeah. And and to be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to condone these things. Um, Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you for what you do, honestly. Thank you for what you do. And thank you. Yeah. And it's so, how can people get to work with you? Yeah, sure. Um, the website people can check out is www.adaptingleaders.com. And uh, the bonus that's free, you can download this for free uh, with an email address. Go to www.adaptingleaders.com forward slash guide. Uh, I go through a five-step framework of how to navigate difficult conversations. So uh, feel free to check those out, see what you think. Awesome. That sounds like a great resource. Yeah. Do you, any, any other ways or anything else you want to add? Any other ways for people to connect with you? 
Uh, yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, we can provide those link in the show notes and such yeah, like that. Um, that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, find me on LinkedIn, uh, check out the website. You can schedule a complimentary 30 minute call. Tell me your story. Tell me a situation you're working on. You want to help, you want help with, or just check out the free blog where I, I share, you know, uh, summaries of interesting uh, leadership literature and other uh, life hacks and things like that. Oh, thank you, Jerry. Thank you for what you do. Thanks for being here. And thanks for making a difference. Thank you. And for everyone listening or watching, we're going to post the links to uh, that he mentioned so you can follow him. And uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks for being a resource for everyone. Absolutely. Be well. Thank you.